Open loops. Open loops. Open loops. Open loops. Open loops. You must listen to the open loops, a theme park for absurd beliefs and systems of integration between the mind and the creative spirit. Open loops. Conscious mind, take a break. It's late. It's time to wake up your unconscious mind to its full abilities. It's a late night talk show for you, unconscious. Welcome to Open Loops with Greg Bornstein. Conversations that bend. Hey everybody, hello, hello, hello. My name is Greg Bornstein. I'm your host. Welcome to Open Loops. Yes, for those that don't know about me, who am I really? I'm a consciousness disruptor. I'm a curator of experience. I'm a cultural hypnotist. I put all those things together and I've come up with the term looper. What is a looper exactly? Well, what is an open loop exactly? Well, if I answered that question, the loop wouldn't be open. Because it's just that. An open loop is an unconscious provocation. It's starting a sentence, but not finishing it. Leaving things open in your mind so that possibilities intrigue, curiosity can run rampant. And this is a show that inspires open loops about the topics that take us away from it all. We're talking magic, hypnosis, psychology, fringe science, the supernatural, the paranormal, and of course, the biggest questions of all, who and what we really are. You see, my goal on this show is to challenge your existing belief systems by sharing ideas that are radically unique and bringing on guests that are radically unique so that your unconscious mind is stimulated and you can ultimately step into the highest version of yourself. Today's guest is exactly the kind of person that is forcing you to do that. She's in the business of that. She is Lily Walford, international dating coach, behavioral profiler. She is an NLP master practitioner and trainer, life coach, specializes in relationships. She's a hypnotist. That's what, that's what, you know, 
That's the good stuff right there. Uh, she works with an organization called Love with Intelligence. It's a company she has founded. And one of the reasons that I was very interested in Lily Walford was that she studied under Chase Hughes, who is leading military and intelligence behavior expert, uh, who wrote the Ellipsis Manual. It's one of the best books on nonverbal behavioral analysis uh, and hypnosis and lie to me, but the real stuff about detecting lies and people, all that stuff. Chase is, he's an expert. He's an expert in the human hacking. And Lily studied under him, has been endorsed by him, and she's really run off and brought this into the dating world. She's been featured in The Guardian, Marie Claire, Bustle, uh, Cosmopolitan, Delish, Red, really, I mean, really great places. And she has taken the world by storm. And I had to have her on to talk about my dating life and what I need to do right now to become a better man. This is this is the sad truth, folks. I need the help. I need the help. I'm just kidding. We actually don't really go that far into that. Uh, well, we, we do a little bit. But this is a higher level conversation about how she even got into these realms. And specifically with a focus on narcissism. Very intrigued by narcissist love. Does that mean I'm a narcissist? Well, you'll have to listen to find out. Lily Walford is a fantastic guest. You're going to enjoy this conversation with her. And if you enjoy Open Loops, please make sure to follow it on Apple Podcasts. Share it with a friend. And if you really like the show, uh, I, I would greatly appreciate if you're able to rate the show uh, on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, uh, leave a review. It definitely helps get these conversations out there. Here she is, Lily Walford. Today on Open Loops, we have Lily Walford, who is a behavioral profiler, hypnotist, life coach, NLP master trainer or master practitioner and trainer, and she specializes in relationships, lovewithintelligence.com. This is, I, I love, this whole show is about blending different worlds together. Uh, and definitely, yeah, love comes up a lot, hypnosis and, and uh, understanding the way the mind communicates and we can communicate with other minds and leveraging technology that way it's all stuff i love therefore when lily was putting herself out there as someone that said hey i'm open to do interviews and talk about this um i had to have her on lily thank you so much for coming on the show <laughs> thank you for having me and thank you for the lovely introduction oh good good well i i'm, I'm so glad you're here uh Tell you what, I, I am kind of curious, you know, some people do when when they learn uh, about neurolinguistic programming or hypnosis or um, any of the behavioral profiling stuff, they some people stay in the generalized space. They go, oh, mm. this is so cool. I'm going to really just now I don't know how they do it. I, I think there are a lot of people with certificates that 
haven't made any money whatsoever, um, <laughs> which is fine. I might be closer to that category than I'd say, but <laughs> but uh, I'm curious, how did you find yourself in the love space? Yeah, gosh, <laughs> I'm still pinching myself at the moment. I originally I started out as an accountant, so wow. um, yeah, in the corporate space and. As soon as I found NLP, I just knew that I wanted everyone to know about it. And I think one of the first things I did was I started to apply it to my love life because I went through some horrific, narcissistic, stalking, stalking um, type of relationships. It was just awful. And yeah, NLP sort of learned me, taught me how to communicate in a better way, how to connect with people. But there was something still missing for me because it was almost like um you know if you had someone like a so if you had like a sheep for example with great self-love and great self-confidence a wolf isn't going to turn around and go well I'm not going to eat that one right it didn't really help in the full scale of things when it came to relationships and dating in terms of identifying and disarming from you know narcissistic relationships or toxic relationships And that got me to dig and delve a lot further into psychology than I ever, ever, ever expected. So this is when I met Chase Hughes. Um, And Chase, he's a world leader in behavioral profiling. He's got $30 million worth of government research behind him. And uh, we actually partnered up with him, use his research and support so many people in, you know, recovering from narcissistic abuse, from actually understanding how it all happened and how to avoid it, but also how to deal with um, situations like co-parenting or divorcing or, um, you know, or just moving on to a healthy relationship without going into another narcissistic or toxic relationship. Yeah. Yeah. That seems to be... I, I wonder what your what your read on that situation is. Why it okay? Well, here's the thing: if it's so prevalent, how many narcissists are there running around this world? Because you always hear <laughs> that you know, oh, it's a small percentage. So uh, there's a small percentage of sociopath, narcissistic, psychopaths. But I know even in my dating life, I've definitely been on I feel I've run through the circuit of women uh oh yeah this well this last guy was really he was associate oh he was in that I'm going what why is this so high why are there so many that at least I'm encountering what is going on with that so I think there's two things going on I think number one I think not many people actually understand what a true narcissist is so when we talk about narcissists I'm talking about the, the, the ones that are more like clinically diagnosed. So a true narcissist, the empathy part of the brain is actually underdeveloped. So there's no empathy or very little empathy there at all. I think what people tend to get fooled by is narcissistic traits because mm. everyone, everyone, I don't care who you are, everyone has narcissistic traits and it comes out from time to time. And I think that's what people tend to latch on and go, oh, okay, well, I've just seen that red flag that's peered once in a blue moon. So that person's a narcissist. So that gets thrown around so often <laughs> because yeah. people love labels. People love labels so, so much rather than just saying, okay, well, that person's not right for me. That's interesting. So can you give me a, what's an example of someone that, that 
I, I wonder in your coaching work, if you've ever worked with someone who they see something, it becomes a red flag and you actually have to talk them into <laughs> staying in the relationship because you just say, hey, look, there's a way to correct this behavior. He's not a full blown narcissist. Yeah, I think this this tends to come from like the self-sabotaging um, behavior. So when I work with people, whether they're in a relationship or whether they're single, one of the questions I sort of ask is like, are you actually ready to be loved? Mm. And when we've got trauma or anything in the past, it can even stem. I mean, I've been doing loads of research at the moment into childhood and how that actually influences our relationships and the way that we connect and um, uh, the way that we can actually explore intimacy in a comfortable way. Uh, which is so, so interesting. But often these are kind of the layers that need to be worked through where people go, okay, well, I'm actually, I'm, I'm actually okay to receive love because it's quite interesting as well that people are so prepared to love someone and give love, but receiving love is something that's more vulnerable for people. And uh, one thing I think, believe, one of the reasons I'm, Sorry, one of the reasons I believe that this is the case is when we are giving love, we know where it's coming from. Mm -hmm. But when mm -hmm. we're receiving it, we don't know where it's coming from. Oh, go into that a little more. <laughs> <laughs> That's very interesting. Yeah. So, um, for example, if you've had gone through like a... Uh, yeah, just like a horrible relationship, whether it was narcissistic or whether it was just unhealthy or toxic in some sort of way, there's been this expectation from some, you know, from a lot of people when they, when they go into love and they give something and they expect something back or the love end, ends up being something that's conditional. Like, okay, well, I'm only going to give you love if you agree with me or do the things I say. Otherwise, mm. I'm going to stonewall you. And it's kind of, it's that kind of premise that tends to happen in those types of um, scenarios. So it's almost like going, okay, well, I'm, I'm open to receive love, but are you going to just take it away? Are you going to use it to control me or are you going to use it to actually love me? Yeah, yeah. Is there something that could be, I, look, I, I don't know if you've thought about uh, the way you would raise kids and bring them into the world if it did you don't have kids do you i don't know okay but, i'm um, sure you've thought about it <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's so interesting so i think it doesn't it's made me realize going into this research of actually understanding childhood as well it doesn't matter if you've had a very very healthy childhood or very very bad and damaging childhood you're, you're always going to take away something which is going to affect the way that you love and the way that you connect. So um, I can't remember the um, researchers that um, developed this research, but they did something called um, the five styles of love, which is mm. so, 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 so interesting. Yeah, what is they that? Talk about, um, so basically they talk about the way that people love based from their childhood. So they talk about, um, for example, the pleaser. So the one that has to go ahead and please people in relationships because there was someone in um, their family, whether it's their mom or their dad, or they felt like they had to you know, look for that approval from that parent and never got it. Um, you have like the avoidant who was always taught to be independent always mm. taught to be you know self-sufficient so when they go into relationships they're unable to express themselves emotionally because they've always been taught to keep independent um you've got the controller 
<laughs> who yeah. tend to um, feel anger very, very easily. So when they go into relationships, they want to make sure that everything's controlled, everything's stable, because that was something they were lacking in their childhood. So it's, it's so many different levels to this, but it just shows how much um, uh, this influences the way that we connect. And when we have... Yeah. For example, like a pleaser and avoidant type together, you can kind of picture the kind of relationship that they would have and the way that would unfold. <laughs> this is so interesting. And it makes me wonder because, um, and, and, you know, I hopefully one day I, I hope to interview uh, Mr. Chase Hughes on this show because his work has definitely inspired me too. And, and he's one of the few people out there that I think is really telling the truth about the way hypnosis works. I think a lot of hypnotherapists hide behind a lack of actual results and expertise, but B, um, this idea of, not recognizing how powerful some of these technologies are, that it isn't just all hypnosis is self-hypnosis. Um, there are set procedures and ways that people who are in power are influencing you to make change that is a little less this notion that, well, you can't do anything against your will. Uh the thing I've always heard, this guy, Kendrick Cleveland, who's an influence trainer, said, yeah, that would be great if uh, you had a will in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> so so, yes, I think this stuff is powerful, too. So to that point, I would say in your work, when somebody is uh, conflict avoidant or somebody grows up being a people pleaser or something like that, they have this way that they developed at a young age. Um, are you able to work with someone like yourself and actually get them into one of the other types it wouldn't be to get them into the other types it would be kind of them uh, looking at releasing that pattern because so it's a, so it's a uh, i see okay yeah, so, so it's like all of these patterns that they're, they're not actually helping that relationship at all so even right. with the pleaser they're pleasing people to the point where they don't feel appreciated and then they reject that relationship or they blow up because they're not getting appreciated the way that they want to um you know the avoidant they can't connect you know they, they're yeah. holding people at arm's length because they they've always been told to be independent so it's more like breaking down those patterns and that that level of sort of conditioning that they've gone through from a child to adult and to be able to connect at that deeper level that's pretty good. It makes me then then let's take it to an extreme. Can you break the patterns down of a diagnosed narcissist? Yeah, this is where it becomes very, very interesting. So when we're looking at the empathy part of the brain, okay, empathy is all about the way that we connect, mm. the way that we feel connected, the way that we understand people the way that we want to, um, you know, just feel close to someone. So when we're actually working with a narcissist, you know, they don't have the empathy part of the brain. And due, due to the neuroplasticity of that part of the brain, that's not something that can grow or evolve, you know, not, not from the research that I've seen anyway. So there are ways to... Yeah, so they sort of control it and, and process it in a better way. But when it comes to empathy and connection, it's almost like someone playing the part rather than feeling and being the part. Yes. Does that kind of make sense? It does. Yeah. So then, 
so so basically what you're saying is that there isn't hope for narcissists right now. <laughs> I mean, that's what it sounds like. I mean, in terms of um, in terms of um, you know, feeling empathy and, and recovering, you know, in that kind of way, no. And it's not to say because I know a lot of people um, who I know a few narcissists who have actually worked on themselves so they can be a better partner, which is great, but it has to be their choice. And mm. it's also remembering, you know okay, narcissists are seen as this bad, bad thing in society, but we all, we forget about, you know, soldiers. If they're a soldier, they're going to be a better fighter and a better soldier. Um, if they're in a leadership position, you usually find a lot of narcissists tend to be in leadership positions because they've got a high level of charisma and a high level of influence, and they can get a lot of people to do the things that they need to get done. You've even got people like surgeons, for example, you know, who um, <laughs> tend to be, um, was it a lot of uh, surgeons tend to be um, psychopaths <laughs> so, right? because they're able to disengage with the human elements. They can just get the job done. So there's, there's a superpower to it as well. Would a narcissist ever come to you and say, Hey, help me with my love life. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a program specifically for that person? Um, I have had that. Yeah, I, I have had that. Wow. A, what do you do with that? There's a difference. Because it's almost like it's it's like in any coaching scenario, there's people who are coachable and people who are not. So the the so far the narcissistic personality types that have approached me haven't been in that place to be coachable. So for example, my my mini test is sending a booking link for them to book a call. And if they mm -hmm. won't use the booking link and they ask to call me now or call me at a certain time you know tomorrow or whatever it might be that shows me that person's not coachable oh yeah, yeah. you just open the door up for a whole bunch of other <laughs> great things here because yeah i i think you're gonna really be uh and that's why i was excited to have you on to talk about little telltale signs and things you can do to test people mm -hmm. um make it a little more tangible though um just as much i do love the high level theoretical stuff of this i mean i wonder about yeah, I don't even. My answer was going to be about the Trumps. Or my question was going to be about about <laughs> Melania and Donald. What if they went to a counseling session? Do you think you could get anything to come through? Now, look, that's assuming you by the diagnosis. A lot of people have said, a lot of psychiatrists have said, well, it looks like Donald Trump. Um, not even we're not talking about his political beliefs here. We're talking this guy exhibits the behaviors and seems to lack the empathy of of a tradition of mm -hmm. um, the way the brain is. You know, uh, what we're I don't I don't want to judge it because that's the basically it lacks empathy. We'll just put it that way. Um, so, <laughs> yes. So I wonder when you have a couple like that where I, I mean, maybe Melania lacks empathy. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, do you think you could have any breakthrough to get those two to be closer together? I think it's the thing, you know, what I say with any healthy relationship, there needs to be four things. I call it my four C's. Um, oh, yeah, and what are those? Consideration, collaboration, communication, and compatibility. Mm. Now, with these things, of course, you've got considerations. So that's level of empathy. You've got collaborations. You've also got people being accountable for their actions and, and their words and their emotions. So they're able to collaborate with each other. Because if you have one person in that scenario of, well, I didn't say that, or I didn't do that, 
you've got nothing that you can collaborate and work with. Mm. Um, and then we've also got the um, compatibility side of things. You know, if you're not actually compatible, you're not going to be able to have that long-term relationship and communication. And I think it's quite interesting. I, to be honest, I don't do a lot of politics. I don't usually go, um, I don't usually, I don't really know much about celebrities and presidents right, right. and all the rest of it. I'm terrible. But from what I've seen from the pictures and from what the media have shown, they've got a very interesting relationship because it's not close at all. Hmm. You know, when you're having a look at the the weird, you know, don't hold hands or hold hands or the way they're leaning away from each other. So you've got the torso tilts actually leaning away from each other rather than towards, which shows that there can be like some breakdown or friction within that relationship. Because when we're very close to someone, you know, we're, we're leaning towards them. We're, we're pointing our feet towards them. We're leaning towards them. We're looking at them. We're smiling at them. You know, we're, we're looking to, you know, to have, you know, holding hands and things like that. And you don't see that closeness in uh, that scenario. But again, I guess putting it into context as well in the media, whether you're actually comfortable with, um, uh, you know, um, uh, holding hands and kissing and That's things like that in front of the media as a president. So it's a yeah. I would have to have, sit down and have a look at more bits and pieces around that to to fully diagnose that. But it's a very interesting relationship from what I've seen. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, that's so. You know, and, and talking about body language and stuff like that too. Um, that little bit of Chase Hughes here, but also just in general, people that are in this space, yourself as a behavioral profiler, do you think there are things that people fundamentally misunderstand about the way to break down body language that are in the mainstream culture right now? Oh, gosh. Yeah. Loads. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Like, give, give us some myths, some misconceptions about the way to read body language. Oh, gosh. I think, oh, gosh, it's, it's a few. Okay. So there's obviously like the one where you've got the whole crossing arms thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when we have a look at someone, um, yeah, I, I, there's I, there's loads. So I'm getting loads coming into my head. Okay, so when we're crossing our arms, what we're actually looking for is actually looking at how close the palms and, and the inner fingers of your hands are touching your body. Hmm. So if they're really close to your body, that's showing that someone's looking to comfort themselves. Okay, so if you think about it, if you're crossing your arms now and you've got your hands on the outside of your arms, that's not much of a big deal as it as it is touching your body. In case you're really trying to, really trying to um, uh, you know, protect yourself in that kind of way. Um, I think the other thing is, well, people don't tend to baseline fully. They tend to um, just yes. look at a person and they just go, oh, I've just seen this, so it must mean X, Y, Z. Yeah, I think, you know, people definitely need to learn to actually be present with someone, see whether they're in a stressful, you know, stressful situation or a calm situation and actually baseline someone properly. So then they can see the deviations or they can see if someone's starting to become a lot more open. And I think as well, people do tend to um, focus on other people to start off with with body language, hmm. which I don't think is actually the right way to start. Oh, that, yeah. Go into that more. That's very yeah. interesting. So I, I believe if you really want to understand a body and a human mind and the way that's interconnected, tune into your own body. 
Mm. You know, suddenly turn around and go, right, what's my body language right now? What am I feeling in this moment? And it's very, very interesting to actually diagnose that. So, for example, if I have a look at my body language now, my hands are out, <laughs> my, um, my fingers are extended, um, mm. and it shows that I'm being open, I'm being communicative. So, but there might be other scenarios where, okay, let's say that um, I remember when I was in corporate, there'd be moments where I'd have a deadline. So I'll be chewing my pen lid and that's a self-soothing gesture. Yeah, of course, <laughs> so you right. Can start to start to diagnose it. And the thing is you learn things so much more quickly when you're actually putting the empathy and the emotion to the body language and you can see it in other people so much more easily. Yeah. Wait, this is okay. I want to know more about things that you thought you were doing with your body language, or at least ways you thought you were putting yourself across early on that someone pointed out at you and said, Hey, actually, when you do this, it's really, um, it's, it's incongruent. Do you have examples that you remember? Oh, gosh, there's yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you throw me one okay. of those. Cause those are always fun. So, I went to uh, acting school. So I, yeah. this was all about calling people out for stuff like this. I'm curious. Oh, totally. Well, it's, it's interesting, actually. So one of the things that tends to come up a lot is my laugh. Mm. And uh, some people love it. Some people absolutely hate it. I think um, YouTube has uh, definitely tuned into my laugh. On the, oh, on no. You've read your comments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so sorry, Lily. <laughs> Keep oh, doing this work. I'll advocate for you. I will do a public oh, YouTube you. campaign about, yeah, what are these haters <laughs> doing? This is terrible. Okay, fine. So so your laugh, um, when, when did when did this come out for you? Was there a person that said, hey, you when you laugh, it's like this, and that really made an impact on you? Or yeah, it's, it's quite interesting. So what people don't actually realize about me, before I got into NLP, I had really bad social anxiety. Hmm. So I had to, yeah, I think I got into NLP around 2017, no, 2018. And um, yeah, I was at the point where I'd walk through London, like a mile through London to go to the training centre and I would be an absolute mess. I couldn't talk to anyone. I'd have to sit there with my water and calm down before, you know, before the training started. So it was insane. But what I, what I found is the more confident I've got, the way that I expend energy is not so much through movement, but it's through laughing. Hmm. So uh, I've noticed a lot of people have started to pick up on uh, that laugh. <laughs> oh, <laughs> what, what do you mean by that? What do they pick up on it? What are, in what context? It just as you as a public presenter or interpersonally? Yeah, I think I've had people complain that it's annoying on interviews and. Um, uh, Right. Yeah, that kind of thing. So it's like, ouch. Yeah, that was quite quite fun to um, have that pointed out in such a. <laughs> so what are you doing? What are you doing with that information? I, I I like the laugh because it makes me feel like I'm doing something right. There, there's yeah. a good or just there you're having a good experience on the show. Um, but are you consciously saying, oh, man, I, I got to be careful not to laugh as much at this interview uh, or what? what is happening right now for you? Oh, to be honest, it's interesting. It's kind of like, um, you know, a personal self-development. It's almost like, OK, well, that's the cool thing that I get to work on um, yeah. and get to understand fully. But the other side it's like well actually I mean I am a bit of an extrovert even though I had social anxiety and it's the way I connect with people 
So uh, it's kind of like it's it's finding the healthy balance of it all because at the end of the day, you know, personal development it's a journey. There's never yeah. an end point, <laughs> which I've had to you know learn um, the hard way about. But yeah, I think it's just one of those. You know, you just learn on what you have to focus on and what you have to yeah work on and develop. Do you? Do I I have to ask you something about um, this phenomenon in the U.S. I don't even know if it's politically correct to call it this anymore. I'm sure someone's going to get upset at this, but um, I have heard this phenomenon of the resting bitch face. <laughs> have you heard of this? <laughs> I have. Yes. What, yes. Yeah. This this idea of and look, it's the I look. I, I I've been a bitch myself in my life too, so <laughs> I'll just throw that out there. Like, yeah, I don't think it's gender exclusive here, but um, this idea of the person that is walking and on their face, they just seem naturally offstandish. They they make their face implies that they are going to be a bitch, and then um, sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. And they just go, oh, no, no, I just have I just, uh, you know, have RBF. I have it. Um, What is going on there? I think this is quite interesting because I think um, one of the one of the reasons why I got into NLP and all those different things was because I realized that not everyone knows how to connect. Mm. And I think this is a huge example of that because people feel that they have to put on this tough persona people feel like they have to be something they're not you know chase always talks about everyone's wearing a mask Mm -hmm. i think this is it i think it's a self-protection armor up um uh, and and that's their way of staying safe which again I think it's it's sad, especially when you think about relationships, the way people want to have a relationship, but they're putting this mask on, the other person's putting the mask on, and together with these masks, they're trying to create this genuine connection. (laughs) Yeah. But ultimately, I I just think it's just self-protection. I mean, I remember in corporate, I did a very similar thing. You know, no one would have known that I was, you know, badly insecure at that stage, but I would happily, you know, put my heels on, do my special walk through the office and, uh, you know, make out that I owned the place (laughs) right it's it's the way that we protect ourselves oh Lily this this you're speaking to something that that uh really resonates with my heart because it makes me so sad corporate I've been talking a lot about this my uh my sisters are in the corporate space and they're uh partners are also in the corporate space and we like to rail on some of the personalities that i guess everybody does when you're not actually <laughs> in the office but i also do think these people that are in it are seem like genuine people and they wouldn't sacrifice themselves in that office it- unless it was to match up with what they're experiencing often which i've encountered i call it corporate cadence there is a cadence that I've noticed, especially in um, the millennial generation, I guess people, uh, I was born in 1989. So people in their late twenties, early thirties that are in the corporate space right now that, uh, yes, I suppose it's woke 
yes, I suppose it's, you know, they, they, they'll say the talking points, they'll say they're equitable, they say they're, you know, tolerating of all the things and all, all the all of the, all the things that are important to speak about. But what when they're even talking about topics about freedom of self and expression and equality, I'm going, yeah, but I don't even feel like you're fully authentic. There's something not connected <laughs> there. It's corporatized. It's professionalized. It's what I mean. I, I'm curious your thoughts on that, A, and B. Could there ever be a corporate environment where people just drop the mask completely but still manage to get results? Mm, yeah, great question. I think um, <laughs> with corporate, um, I almost see it as a narcissistic relationship hmm. you know there's these expectations that are not talked about but if you break them then there's there's hell to pay so for example if you leave on time you class as a part-timer um there's <laughs> right in, in my experience it's always been the boys club at the top and i find yeah. that women have been treated very differently in, in a corporate environment um i think there's always an expectation depending on the type of boss or leader that you have is that everything has to be done a certain way and they don't like out of the box thinkers i mean and this is my this is my experience of corporate yes. anyway and i think before you tackle any other issues whether it's like gender pay gap or whatever it bloody might be there's this core there's this rotten core that actually needs to be focused on first because it doesn't matter about anything else you can do all the tick boxes but if you're not actually in a place where you're caring about the people that are working for you then it then it, it's just empty it's just completely empty so yes. i think there's that that needs to really really be focused on and i think as well not many people know how to do leadership how to be a, a real leader um, I think that's just so, so sad because, you know, you have people going, going and having a look at what's worked previously for other, for other people. So you've got these generations of this, you know, delegating kind of leadership, which doesn't work and it's, it's harsh on them um, on staff. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, things that need to evolve within the corporate environment. And I think we take this on in our relationships as well. I was about to ask next yeah. about how you connect it all to that. I mean, does the do you think a good lover, a good spouse, uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, whomever, you know, it, it, it should they also be able to naturally pivot into the role of a great leader? I think it's, it's interesting because it, it comes back to just being you and connecting with people at that human level. Mm. And I think, you know, people almost become power hungry when they're in that leadership position and it's like, you know, they kind of uh, get confused where people won't do what they say or, or they have to um, make things difficult for people or they totally ignore the people in, within their team who don't listen to them. And I think it just boils back to learning how to connect. Yeah. How don't do you, you yeah. Oh, oh, sorry to interrupt. I, I, I just meant uh, you see this a lot. That is the basis of a lot of narrative fiction, uh, especially on TV, the person that is so great at their job and can lead everything, but their home life is an absolute mess. Um, <laughs> is that? Do you think that is there's truth to that in real life? I mean, could those things ever be aligned um, if you are authentic at the workplace as well as in your 
uh, romantic and family relationships. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think the reason that if you've got a, a great work life and a bad family life, I think it's just because you haven't been authentic. The amount of people that I've heard that have been in a work environment and they have to put on this facade and then as soon as they get to the office, they can sigh with relief. You know, it's like they've had to play different parts all the freaking time. And I think it just boils back to if you know how to connect with anyone and you know how to get the best out of everyone, whether it's just conversationally or whether it's leadership or whether it's connecting on an intimate level, you've got all the power in the world. You've got, you've got everything that you need in order to feel happy, secure, connected, and respected as well as just a human being just in all areas of your life yeah what that that's really great i uh it's now making me realize how much work and in various different aspects of the work you have to do. I don't think there's one, you know, you don't go to love with intelligence and say, uh, I just need to get better at first dates. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you're just an expert on that. There are so many things and so many different aspects to this. Uh, do you find in general with your work that there is, there are more likely scenarios that someone would come to seek you out rather than others? Are, are there general sort of trends of your clientele? Yeah, I think um, the, the main things at the moment is kind of just healing from narcissistic relationships and breaking that pattern, mm. which is very, very interesting. So with narcissistic relationships, my partner often calls them two-person cults because mm. the level of influence and the level of um damage that it does you know when I speak to people because I've gone through a narcissistic relationship myself when I've spoken to people who've been in these relationships for 20 years you know you experience this brain fog making a simple decision takes five minutes you've still got their voice in their head telling you how awful you are in whatever way it might be and it's all these different things that need to be um deprogrammed basically so because the, otherwise, if you carry on with holding on to that into another relationship, you're just going to sabotage it. You're not going to be able to cope with dealing with it, all that internal process and also trying to connect with someone at the same time whilst feeling not like yourself. Yeah. I wonder why people seek out somebody that is versed in, uh, you know, top CIA, M6 level, MI6 level <laughs> of uh, body language, behavioral side of things to address that rather than just going like a traditional therapist. What do you think that you have that uh, people are really intrigued by that is going to end these issues once and for all? It's funny, I think um, I was speaking to someone um, yesterday about this. And I think it's number one, I've been through it. And I think a lot of people who, you know, support people who have gone through those narcissistic relationships, I don't, I don't believe that everyone has experienced that relationship. And when you're going to someone for help who, who hasn't gone through that experience, it can be so hard for them to relate and to understand. Mm, mm -hmm. And uh, I remember for myself that I went to go and see a life coach after I went through a narcissistic relationship way before the NLP. And I remember just feeling broken. And I think this is the sad thing where people are kind of left. And the interesting thing is as well, they're blamed. 
they uh, they had one lady that I spoke to and she said um, that her counsellor turned around to her and said, well, you're addicted to love. That's why you ended up in a narcissistic relationship. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, and it, it completely, I, I just think it's just so, so sad. So I think it's kind of having a place where you feel understood, but also knowing how to move forward and get that closure and to understand how it happened, why it happened, you know, when also releasing, there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of guilt, there's a lot of shame that tends to come from those relationships because in narcissistic relationships, you tend to be influenced to do things that are completely out of your character because there's this power play going on. Um, and I think it's also knowing how to move forward and, and how to know how to spot someone if they are narcissistic and what to do about it as well. So it's kind of like the whole package in terms of healing, being able to process everything that's happened and understand the inner workings of it all so that if you spot it again, you know exactly what to do so you don't have to go down that path again. I was going to say, are you, I, I know that uh, especially with the the rise of behavioral profiling, getting out there more and uh, people like you, people like Chase uh, getting into the space and saying, hey, there is, there's, there's a lot of real use to this material and you can really uh, equip yourself for a variety of situations, uh, knowing the way, I, I guess, I suppose behavior hacking, if you will. Uh, do you think you're equipping these people you work with to be super super spies in a way <laughs> um are you is that is that part of the side effect of working with you do they get the skills ever to also be able to really hack behavior as well yeah so it's, it's interesting because i think um i almost look at behavioral profiling and body language as a martial arts Mm. So it's mm -hmm. almost like, you know, you can equip yourself in the best possible way so you can keep yourself safe. And it's your, um, uh, you, you know, you're right in, in terms of using it in a safe and ethical way. And I think that's the important bit about what we do. But also, because I, I wasn't quite expecting this when I got into the behavioral profiling, it's about increasing that connection. So this is the, one of the main reasons I got into this work is actually helping people to connect because I think, you know, like I said, not many people know how to do that. And it's almost like a difference of, you know, what it's like when you read a text message and then you have a phone call and it, all of a sudden you feel you, you're interpreting the way that they're saying things in different ways because you can hear the tonality and you can hear the personality coming out of their voice. And then when you actually meet them in person, you've got that other thing of where you can see their body and the way they're moving, their kind of baseline behaviours. And then with the um, uh, behavioural profiling on top of that, you can suddenly see the needs and fears of that person and what influences their behaviour. You can see whether they're being completely truthful to you when you're saying, well, I'm looking for a long-term relationship and they're nodding, but actually all their body language is saying no. You know, you can start to see so much more. And one thing I love about this is that it means that you've got the truth. And when you've got the truth, you can make an informed decision and you've also got the trust element that can create the right foundation for your relationship in the very beginning. Yes, yes. Uh, you're, you're speaking to another thing here that uh, I I suppose um, I, I, I'm, I'm sure other people are thinking this. 
you know, what happens if you become so aware of all this stuff? Does it then put up a wall between you and everybody because you can't turn it off? You see every glance as a, as a slight. You look at the micro expressions and you can see they're not fully with you. Uh, did that happen for you? Are you able to ever put it on the shelf and really just stay connected? Yeah. Um, you use it all the time. But what I found for me is that it helps me to connect even better. That's I what I was thinking. That's what I was yeah. hearing there, which was different than uh, it, it bridged. There was a gap. There was a gap and you filled it in. So I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why do you think that is? I mean, you know, from somebody, yeah, you're using it all the time. Uh, you know, are you ever tempted to, uh, you know, if somebody does give you, if a, a partner of yours, or it doesn't even mean your romantic partner, but somebody gives you in an in a, a family relationship, you can tell that there's a mismatch between what they're saying on their face and what they mean in real life. Um, I mean, are you starting to go into, okay, what strategy do I need to get them on my, the same page or uh, is something else happening? Oh gosh. It just, just made me remember something that was hilarious. After yeah. Yeah. Tell me about this <laughs> um, profiling course. So I think we've all heard the kind of saying, you know, when, what was it? Oh gosh, it's gone straight off my head now. Yeah, was it? I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Yes, Bill Clinton. Right. Okay. So within uh, we we actually learned a lot around language patterns and how you can see if that that was basically a lie. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I remember going and, and visiting my parents um, after this profiling course. And uh, my dad literally came out with this line, like word for word, that he did not have the last of the cheese that he recalls. <laughs> and that literally gave me all the information I needed to know that he had the last of the cheese. <laughs> uh, what specific was it? Was it the language? Was it his body behavior? How did you? Oh, gosh. Yeah, so you've got, um, so in that little line, you've got, I did not. So you've got a removal of, mm. um, uh, you know, away from that thing. So if they said didn't, that's okay. Did not tends to be that kind of removal. Um, and then you've got um, what my dad said was not that I recall. Well, you're going to remember if you've had the last bit of the cheese or not. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. So when we say not that I recall, that can also be a big um indication as well so the bill clinton one so you've got the i did not we've also got that woman which is distancing from you know that the woman's name and who she actually is and mm-hmm. then you've also got sexual relations rather than sex so that also removes um the intensity of what is actually done uh wow this is so great okay okay so okay give me some you know i i definitely i i think the thing that intrigues me about this is the uh the love with intelligence program and the stuff you offer i mean you even if you go to lovewithintelligence.com you can book a free love blueprint strategy call which anything that can help people in this world find uh at least have a head start when you're stuck with online dating and people saying I'm a professional matchmaker and all the things out there now I'm intrigued by. So we're going to go there, but let's stay with the narcissist thing for a second. Um, And specifically when it comes to overcoming the trauma, uh, are you frequently doing a lot of 
like inner trance work with people? Is it more, uh, you know, eyes open, you know, formalized NLP processes? I, I, I'm assuming it changed, but I'm curious if you have uh, regular practices in the change work sphere that mm -hmm. you go to frequently when it comes to overcoming uh, past abuse in these relationships. Yeah, so I, I do some, I've called it the double helix strategy. Hmm. And what this is, it's basically one strand is logic and the other strand is emotions and it's the way they intertwine together. Because some people can be in this place of, okay, I understand what a narcissist is, I understand everything that's happened, but for some reason I'm still addicted or I still feel upset or I still hold on to these emotions. So we kind of tackle both sides. So we do it through um, training videos and we do coaching and also a little bit of hypnotherapy as well, depending on the client. So there's, there's literally so much that we do. And I'm trying to think of the best way to sort of describe all the different things that we go through. <laughs> Yeah. There's, there's I mean, is it a customized yeah. training? Pro does, does somebody need like a really rigorous sort of, oh, yeah, we need to close their eyes and, and take them back to childhood 15 times. And that's all <laughs> they need to do. For, uh, you know, I don't yeah. know. I, mean, I tend to work with people through the narcissist course within four weeks. I, that's all I need with people. And wow. I've worked with people who have been in narcissistic relationships for over 20 years. And yeah, I've managed to hone in this strategy over the course of a couple of years to make sure it's it's potent. It's got all the bits that someone needs to be able to overcome narcissists. And uh, yeah, part of that is obviously having four sessions with me because I want to be able to do the personalized effect. And again, with the profiling, with the body language, with understanding psychology at that deeper level, it means that you can really create and surgically enhance the communications and the coaching process to help someone release that trauma or release that relationship. Wow. Wow. So look, I mean, the thing I wanted to ask is the classic, uh, you know, how do you spot a, spot a narcissist on a first date? But I feel that even if you were to answer that question for me, uh, you know, it also depends, like you said, on the person doing it. Um because I, I don't even know if it could make an impact. I, I think you're absolutely right. This is something new I hadn't thought about before. Why, when you read an article that says 10 tips to make sure you don't have a narcissist in your life, <laughs> people are just going to be, they're going to intellectually understand it, but A, emotionally, they're not going to get it. And B, um, well, there's so many distortions going on because of the programming that is deep set inside of them that it would just be to read that would just not even register in a deep way to people. Um, so for yeah. somebody that hasn't yet, uh, you know, taken the investment and and really worked with someone like yourself um, to to go on with what's going on inside of them. You know, is there anything on the surface right now on on a practical sphere? I I think the tip about you know the booking call was a great thing, um, but <laughs> I think that's a really smart thing. But what other little behavioral tricks, at the very least, do you have? If there are any, you can tell me there are none yeah, for yeah. making sure you avoid bringing narcissists in your life. Yes, there's loads. Okay, so to start off with, you know, we were talking about the empathy part. So with empathy, the way that we learn it is from our parents at a young age. We mimic the facial expressions of our parents as babies. 
to you know the sticking the tongue out and doing the stupid faces mm-hmm. that's how we literally yeah. bring in that empathy so the way that we can detect if someone's a narcissist is that they lack that empathy so they learn through um, usually the teenage years on how to mimic facial expressions but they're not genuine and there's a way that you can tell and it's really 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 simple so you have you ever been in that situation where you've had someone look at you that you don't like and they've smiled at you and you've smiled at them back? Yeah. What happens to that smile as soon as they turn their face? Mm. It drops off your face and that's an in, inauthentic emotion. So if you're going to talk to a narcissist about a very, very sad or very, very happy story, you're going to notice that they will smile or they'll show very little emotion on their face and it will drop off their face straight after you've stopped speaking. Wow. Yeah. So that can be a really good one. Another good one is they don't take the answer no. So like I was saying about like the booking, booking a call link, if they don't do it their way, they won't do it. So mm. if you're saying to someone, no, I don't want to go on a date tonight and they're still pushing to go on a date, that tends to be a huge red flag because there's, there's no respect for those boundaries whatsoever. Um, and the other thing is, have a look at how the conversation's flowing. Is it always turning back to them in, in some kind of way? You know, you're saying, oh, I broke my finger, and they're going, oh, well, that's nothing, I broke my leg. <laughs> Bringing it back yeah. to them. That tends to be a really, really um, good one to look out for. But there's another thing. Um, that people don't take into effect as well is that you know when we have that gut feeling where we're we're really not sure about someone you know we can't put our finger on it and it's like yeah I've just got a bad feeling about this person right what we tend to do is we tend to go oh well you know maybe they're just having a bad day let's just see where it goes and this is something that comes from the conditioning of our parents So when we're younger and we tell our our parents and go, oh, do you know what? I really don't like, I don't know, Uncle Ted or whatever it might be. And uh, you go, oh, I don't don't like them. And they go, don't be ridiculous. They brought you a lovely present at Christmas. They're they're your uncle. They're family. They're fine. And you're instantly shut down. And uh, this is what we tend to do when we have a look at our internal dialogue of every time that Um, thought or that feeling comes up we will talk ourselves out of it Hmm. wow this is uh it makes me wonder about the difference between you know for people out there that might see someone exhibit any of these behaviors uh is there do, do you have a threshold of how many of the behaviors they meet before you can say okay i definitely need to get away from them or could they have one thing and you can explain it away maybe they're just you know they're nodding with you and smiling when you tell the story they drop it on their face and maybe it's just a maybe that's just an unconscious pattern that they picked up i mean how can you really fairly distinguish between that and no 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 this is stay away from this person yeah so i always say um reading clusters 
So I'd never take one thing. I'd be reading in, in clusters. So for example, if they did suddenly, you know, you told a sad story and they suddenly dropped, you know, saw the motion drop off the face, they changed the, the subject back to them and um, they refused to take your no for an answer. I'd be like, yeah, okay, get out. <laughs> right. So I would be looking always in clusters. But also, you know, don't be afraid to actually listen to that gut feeling. You know, like I said, we get taught not to listen to it. So if we have that bad gut feeling from the very beginning, it's there for a reason. It's there for your survival. Um, There's a fantastic book about this called The Gift of Fear. Hmm. And the guy who wrote it used to do all the security for the White House. And he talks about all the different personality types and and, um just a very very fascinating book it's very it's a bit dark but it's um got amazing things on there and I think one of the main things he talks about is someone who can't take the answer no I think that it tends to be a huge red flag so if you're ever in that situation where they can't say no yeah just stop <laughs> yeah just engage with that person this goes back to the thing before of uh, you saying that there really isn't any evidence that you can work with these people to change them. Um, what is this world, Lily? I mean, to, to, go, to go a little bigger picture here, do you imagine that there is just tons of narcissistic personnel in an ideal world imagine this let's say everybody got informed about what you're teaching them so that people said okay well we can't deal with narcissistic uh, or narcissists in our life anymore therefore what you're told is you can't change them therefore you need to separate away from them if everybody did that then there would just be all these narcissists running around um I mean, should we just have a planet where narcissists are in love with other narcissists and then they're in a they're in a separate sphere? I mean, what is I just don't it feels like there are tons of people that informed people like yourself are saying, yeah, you got to get away from them. And I just don't know what those people have. Yeah, I think in some situations you can't get away from them. And this is another thing that we tend to support people with. It's things like co-parenting or it's like having a family member. Hmm. I think, you know, in those circumstances, you've got to be so careful of your boundaries and the way that you communicate in order to stay safe. Because like I was saying, with these personality types, it's really hard to set a boundary. It's hard to say no. Um, But I think it just, it comes back to being accountable for yourself and being accountable for, you know, looking after your life and doing what's best for you and what's best for your family and what's best for your future. And I think that's the important bit because what we tend to find with the relationships of narcissists is people tend to lose themselves. They tend to, you know, get damaged in some sort of way. They tend to have narcissistic trauma at the end of those relationships. So it's 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 a tough it's a tough one because obviously, you know, <laughs> you've got to you've got to look after yourself and I think it's it's when you're dealing with people who can't be accountable for themselves with you know narcissistic personalities there's not a lot you can do with that I know this kills me it makes me go hey NLP and hypnosis are great but why can we not go in there with these people and just change that what what can we do I mean I know you said it's a chemical thing they lack the empathy part in their brain um which is really hard to get around Mm-hmm. Uh, I 
is there is there a type of person that you would recommend get in a relationship with a narcissist? What would be a healthy relationship for both that person and for the narcissist themselves? Is there anyone? Yeah, but I'd say it's probably another narcissist. <laughs> but I think as well, it's remembering, you know, what's what is a narcissist looking for in a relationship? And I think the thing is, you know, when you don't have that empathy, you're you're looked at as a resource. You looked at as like an item, like a pen or something to own. Mm. And I think, you know, when, when we're looking at narcissistic relationships, it's not a relationship the way that we feel it and the way that we see it and our perception. You know, it's seen as something to be controlled, something to be had, something to be owned, something to be used. And that's something that's very, very different. So do they have, they still have a heart, but what is, what are they, that, that is, uh, yeah, I'm trying to imagine what is when a narcissist says, I love you, mm-hmm. what does that narcissist mean? <laughs> <laughs> what's the, what's the benefit? What's the benefit of saying something like that to someone who's highly empathetic? Yeah, that's it. That is so, yeah. ah, this is and a what, very tough philosophical position, yeah. ethical position. I, I, I don't know. So imagine, imagine now giving someone like an alien out of space, a rule book of how a relationship should be. Mm. And that's kind of what we're seeing. This is what we're seeing being acted out. So even when we have a look at the start of a narcissistic relationship, it's never terrible at the beginning. Yeah. There's love bombing. There's these grand gestures. There's these fantastic dates. There's this learning how great they are and what great prospects they have for the future. You know, it's all these different things that's created this huge um, fantasy to step into. Because when we create that fantasy, you're making this perception for someone to say, okay, well, I want this. Yeah. So then we start, and I call it the boiling frog syndrome, because if you've got a frog and put it in boiling water, it jumps straight out. Yes. <laughs> so if you've yes. got a frog and put it in a warm pan, you know, and slowly start to build that temperature up, that's how it all works. So when people go into these relationships, they're fantastic in the beginning, and then the temperature gets amped up, amped up, to the point where you're usually isolated from, from your friends and family. You are manipulated in what you can say and what you can't say. You're controlled in where you can't go or where you can go. You're also basically influence to tell them how great they are all the time so there's all these different things that start to slowly get amped up in those relationships do you think that there are good narcissists out there people that you cannot you true i mean look you've been in a relationship with one you obviously um you mentioned that you suffered through it it impacted you um Ethically, morally, uh, that, that and look, I don't, I don't know. Actually, forget about ethics for a second. I don't think <laughs> there's anything that should you necessarily should ever have to feel that someone that made you feel that badly deserves your respect, your care, your compassion. But for the general narcissists out there that really, it seems like they lack something in their brain. I mean, are are we even allowed to have any empathy? for people that have no control over this kind of behavior? I think it boils back to who are you? You know, who are you as a person? I think my, my mum used to tell me the story about my granddad. He used to go to the corner shop and uh, he'd go and get donuts every weekend. 
And, you know, one day he opens the door to the corner shop and this lady walks out and she goes, oh, I hope you did not open that door because I'm a lady. He goes, no, I did it because I'm a gentleman. Mm. And I think, you know, it boils back to, okay, what sort of person are you? If you've got empathy for someone, that's fine. It doesn't mean it's <laughs> it's down to whether that the, it's the right person to have empathy for. It's kind of like it boils back to who are you and how do you interact with people? Um I think in terms of, you know, narcissists, it's kind of like case by case basis. You know, you have some people who, you know, are narcissistic and they're, they've, they've become quite self-aware and they've been doing the work on themselves. But it has to be like anyone and everyone it has to be their choice to do it. Yeah. And I think when we have a look at behavior and you've got this, um, you know, behavior is always influenced by pain and pleasure. So when we're having a look at things like um, relationships with someone, you know, people are looking to be loved. When we're having a look at a narcissist um, kind of pain and pleasure, it's like, okay, someone to control, someone to be with, someone to tell me I'm great. It's not about the other person. Yeah. So, the, so when we're having a look at those kind of things, it's like, okay, so when, how do you influence that person in that way? I mean, there's ways of doing things, but it's more better in a short-term basis when you're doing things like co-parenting and, and dealing with a family member versus being with that person romantically. Because we've also got the element of where people can end up being in a physically abusive relationship. Of course. And I think it's something like one in three, one in three women and one in four men go through a physically abusive relationship. Oh. So this is where we have to be a little bit careful. <laughs> no, of course, of course. I, and believe me, Open Loops does not endorse getting into relationships with narcissists just because you <laughs> feel bad for them. They just tell, that, tell anybody listening right now, do not do it. Um, I just think, that, yeah, it, it's interesting exploring the gray areas mm. of this because and, and that those are the very same gray areas that I and I can't speak from my personal experience, but the, I guess the only personal experience I can speak to is that when you are in something, it's always different than when you're outside of it. And mm -hmm. from what you're telling me, the people you've worked with find themselves in the same patterns over and over again. So clearly when they're in it and sometimes, yeah, well, yeah, he hits me, but also there's other things I'm getting from this. I mean, it's, it's tough. Yeah. It's very tough. The cloud of thought. Yeah, and this is down to the addiction because what happens mm -hmm. is when we're in this state of getting the love bombing and all the great stuff in that relationship, there's this massive high. And when we're going through that high, we're having chemicals being released in the brain that's more addictive than a class A drug. And then we're suddenly going through the low. And we've, we've got this almost like this addiction of needing to wait around until we can have that high again. And because we've got this massive high low, it makes it even more addictive. So when we're having people go through this level of conditioning, they almost, even after that relationship, force themselves to go through that high and low. So even after those relationships, they'll go off and go up with friends or something like that and feel great um, and, and wonder why they feel great afterwards for so long I mean, I've, I've personally gone through that I've had clients go through that as well because the narcissist would instantly take them off that high oh that so basically is like, interesting yeah so all of a sudden because we have an isolation thing that happens as well so narcissists will actually make it difficult for you to go and see other people because you become their supply and they become you know you become theirs basically 
So that's why when you you go through a breakup with a narcissist, it becomes really hard to go through because you're chemically addicted to that person. Yeah. Yeah. Withdrawal is something I definitely find fascinating. And in terms of, um, I, I know people in my life that I don't know if they were necessarily dating a narcissist, but there definitely was a fear that maybe, um, there, there was a fear that, you know, well, what if, it's so good. They, they said exactly what you said. It's so good when it's good and when it's bad. I just want it to be so good again. And I don't even believe mm-hmm. it's possible to go out and experiencing these good feelings. And then, uh, you know, they did break up and all of a sudden they were able to experience those good feelings really quickly. Um, but mm-hmm. but for some people, I imagine that are in an, a, a relationship like that, where their emotions are getting toyed with in a much I mean, this is someone that wasn't necessarily going through that extent, like in a much more traumatic way. Um, do you do you have any advice over what how to get over that initial fear of what's going to happen when I withdraw from this? Am I just going to feel pain all the time? What would you say to that? Yeah, I think it's a really, really good question because it's like I said, it's cult level programming. And you've yes. got that one person there all the time around you for X amount of time, you know, versus a cult group that might meet up once a week or something like that. Right. Like, you know, it's, it's intense. It's intense. So I think with those kind of relationships, when you are ready to let go, it's important to have people around you. I think that is so, so key. And also to also prepare yourself that there are going to be lows. And there's going to be things that you're going to need to put in place to um, take that ritualized behavior out where you'd want to go ahead and reach out to them. Hmm. It's almost like reprogramming yourself. But also the thing that gets really interesting as well is that a person who comes out of a narcissistic relationship, if you ask them what emotion are you feeling, they will really struggle to tell you. So this is where we're actually starting because you become quite dissociated. You're not you. You're actually mimicking their behaviors or their emotions or their beliefs. And you're speaking those rather than your own voice. So a big part of the journey as well is starting to re-engage with your own emotions, accepting your own emotions, and also re-engaging with your voice of where you actually are at and how you're doing and how you're feeling and what, and then you can start to tune into what you want. Because the other element of coming out of a narcissistic relationship is that they will struggle to have a look at a future. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Okay. So look, let's then pivot into the world of dating, Uh, because this is something also that you specialize in. Uh, You have the Love with Intelligence program uh, for busy professionals who are ready to successfully enjoy undeniable love. Definitely sounds like something that, I I mean, I, I don't even know. I feel that certainly with the pandemic dating changed i don't know if it really helped or it enhanced everything where it's too early to tell i think um but dating apps became the norm people stopped really i i think in general with the focus being on the devices in our hands and the ability to quickly achieve notoriety and validation through these 
I have whole thoughts on this, Lily. It, it gets too intense. Um, to to these fantastical. So so okay. So people are getting validated by ways that they used to not be able to. Uh, false perceived uh, influence and and feeling that they're validated by likes and huge dopamine hits that way. So you have this battle of technology taking what used to be um, the drive to connect with others away, and that was happening even pre-pandemic into now. So relationships in general have changed across the landscape. Um, what do you have to give us in this time? What is your solution? Because I have no idea how a busy professional finds undeniable love in 2021. Mm. And it's funny because I think with online dating, especially not many people know how to use it effectively. Oh, talk um, about that. Yeah, because it tends, it tends to be like a little bit of a jumble sale. You would not walk into a pool of people and, and just suddenly try and pick someone out. It doesn't work like that. Right. You know, when you think about your life, you've got your certain social circles, you've got your work life, you're around people who think and um, believe things that you believe. You know, you, you surround your people, you, you surround yourself with people who are within your tribe, so to speak. So, and, and dating, you know, you, you, when you're doing that online, suddenly you don't have those groups. Mm -hmm. So it's mm -hmm. quite interesting seeing it from that perspective. But I think to start off with, one thing I get all my clients to do is to actually understand what is it that they want in a relationship? What is it that they truly want in a partner? Because if you're going into dating, not knowing what you want, it's almost like going into a supermarket, going and doing your weekly food shop without a list. You know, you're going to go down the chocolate aisle and put more chocolate in than you should be. <laughs> You're yeah. going to be getting all the things that are going to feel good for that short-term fix. But when you get home, you're going to be like, oh, God, I've got nothing to make a full meal with. Yeah. Before we move on to that, I, I want to stay with that point for a second, because I know for myself, this is already where I start spiraling. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because here's why. It's, uh, you know, I've had this. I've Even my roommate has done this with me before she said greg list the things you all want in a partner and we sit there and i'm going okay well she's got to be funny she's got to be intellectually stimulating she's all these things that happen and then i question that methodology at least that external personality type typing of what you want your projected someone to be mm -hmm. like because how often do you see people that don't have the same interests that meet up? Would you be cutting yourself off if you said you were really into this TV show and it would be great to have someone to watch it with you? But then there's, you know, I mean, what are the right even ways when you ask, what are you looking for in a relationship? What exactly are you asking of me, Lily? Because um, I do yeah. not have the ideal avatar in my head. And I also fear that if I did, I'd be cutting off people, too. Yeah, great question. Because I think what we do, we, we have a compatibility matrix that we take people through. And this takes people through the six main core elements of your life. Okay, because these are the bits that you're going to need to be compatible on in terms mm. of having a long lasting relationship. So, for example, you know, whether that whether you have a partner who watches the same TV program as you might not be a deal breaker, but maybe political beliefs might be one. Maybe religion might be another. Maybe um, having certain beliefs about what love is and the way gender roles are within within a relationship. So there, there's so many more deeper elements to be looking out for when it comes to that relationship. So there's also things like emotional intelligence. 
you know, if you don't want to be with someone who does not have a similar emotional intelligence to you. And I think that's the one that people tend to really struggle to find. Um, and also, you know, it's understanding the things that you really love in life. What's the things that you talk about the most? I mean, for example, my partner and I, we have a love for psychology, behavioral profiling. And oh, my gosh, yes. I mean, we can just literally talk about that for, oh, gosh, hours, like hours, hours. So, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you don't want to be with someone who you feel like you can't share those things with you know the more important elements of your life because the other thing about a relationship is yes you need to grow as an individual but you need to also grow as a couple as well and if you feel like growing as an individual is pulling away from being able to grow as a couple you're either going to lose yourself in that relationship or you're just going to lose that relationship so this is where this area becomes really important those compatibility that matrix sounds remarkable uh, definitely seems like a great process. So yes, and, and I, I didn't mean to, uh, I mean, I did mean to cut you off because I needed to know the answer. Uh, I needed to know how to, <laughs> I need to find out what I, how to even know what I want in a partner. But then you said, okay, so once you identify that um, in a world where, yeah, that then you have the busy professional component. Um, you know, once you know that, then what do you do next to help someone find undeniable love? Yeah. So I would then be saying, okay, so we'll be creating that kind of avatar to the point where you have got the behavioral profiling lens of that person. So we actually have a look into things at that deeper level where it's, we're understanding that person's personality type of what's actually going to work well with you and how to either identify that through a dating profile or actually creating a strategy where you can date organically as well. So, um, you know, so we're coming out of lockdown now. So we're going to be able to do a lot of more events and going off and doing our interests and meeting up with people. So uh, that's how we'd be doing things. And the, and the interesting thing is you can recognize so much from a dating profile or even just seeing what someone wears and the clothes that they're wearing or the places that they're going to be. So when we have a look at a dating profile, one thing that's really important to remember is someone's putting, you know, three to five, um, photos of themselves that they want you to see the that they want you to see to understand more about them yeah they're showing you all the important bits that they want you to see so when we actually are able to have a look at that we can start to have a look at that person's life and that routine you know are they slim are they a bit on the chubby side are they um what sort of clothes are they wearing what sort of you know class are they what sort of things are they doing in their photos have they got friends around have they got family around and automatically we start to see the things that are so important to them that are going to be a big factor in your relationship if you decide to pursue that relationship with that person so this is where it becomes so much easier when we know exactly what we're looking for. The interesting thing as well around profiles is we can actually see people's empathy as well within their face. Hmm. So when we have a look at someone's photo, I'm actually looking for their facial expressions as well. Are they able to really smile? Does that smile really touch their eyes? Um, or do they have the resting bitch face throughout their whole... Right, <laughs> right. 
Yeah, but the thing is, they even having that resting bitch face throughout all their profiles, all their pictures, that would be a huge red flag to me because I'd be going, right, that person's got no emotional range and you're not going to be able to connect with that person on that emotional level that you'd want to. Interesting. Do you think how much does what's written in a profile matter? Oh, yeah. <laughs> language. <laughs> language is, is um, super important. So if you've got someone saying, I don't want this or I um, don't want any drama and there's this negative thing where you've got someone who's obviously not over their ex and they're dragging their past mm, into their future. Yes. Not particularly the best start of what you'd want in a relationship. Um, if you've got someone who's talking about their interests, fantastic. You can see if, if you're actually able to connect with someone. If you've got someone going, I'm just looking for fun, please just believe them and don't think you're <laughs> going to be able to change them. <laughs> um so yeah i would i'd say okay what does this person really want to achieve by sharing this with me um so for example going back to those people who are going like oh well i, I just I, I don't want any drama i just want someone who's able to um you know have a relationship with me by doing xyz you've suddenly got someone who's probably a bit manipulative in their approach and they're already telling you how to act in that relationship to start off with yeah, this is as I'm going back to New York City, uh, where I normally am, and and after coming out of quarantine and starting to go back into the real world and dealing with dating. Uh, I mean, Lily, you're you're giving some great tips here. Um, I'm wondering, you know, from from profile to date, one of the things that came out at the beginning of the pandemic, and I think it just became unrealistic for, especially from the people that moved away from the areas where they were at and going home and stayed indoors and stuff like that, uh, I thought was the the video dating thing. Mm -hmm. Having one, you know, 20-minute conversation with someone on video before you ever decided to go in person and meet them. Uh, what are, in terms of advancing uh, in a world with online dating, especially, what do you recommend so that you don't waste your time actually meeting somebody in real life? Yeah, I I pretty much love the video date. I think it's such a fantastic yeah. thing that's going to play. Um, because the thing is, you can see, you know, if someone's narcissistic or not, you can see if they're genuinely being present. You can also see into their place of where they live. Are they tidy or not tidy? You can see, you know, what, what books they read. You can see so much into that person's personal life that's going to give you a good idea of whether you're actually going to be a good match and if you're on the same kind of wavelength as well. Yeah. So you you tell people, hey, look, do a pre-screen. <laughs> yes, I, 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 you know, where possible. Yes, I definitely, definitely recommend it because I think um, I, I think we've all been there where we've gone on a date and um, gone to meet someone that we're going to spend a few hours with and just know within the first five minutes, it's just not going to work. Yeah, I was going to ask about when it comes to building rapport and some of the skills that comes from hypnosis and, and NLP. And then once you start getting into uh, intelligence and negotiating and thinking of, you know, working with hostages and getting information out <laughs> of them and rapport and stuff like that. What are your thoughts on chemistry? I mean, is it something that you have to have? Are you 
or or it's not there? Um, is it something that you can you can build chemistry that might not be obvious at first with someone? Um, is that why you do the profiling first so that you're only in situations where you're going to be with someone with a high probability of chemistry? I mean, where does that fit into this? Chemistry is so interesting. So I, I it's a funny one to have sorry it's a funny one to have a conversation about because it's <laughs> parts of it that sounds a bit fluffy and I don't like sounding fluffy right but it has a lot to do with the masculine and feminine dynamic so if you've got that masculine and feminine dynamic that you're going to have chemistry now the thing that I tend to really dislike um, hearing other people say is for women to be more feminine and men to be more masculine the moment that mm. you're having to change yourself of who you are you, you're you're just gonna end up in a failed relationship so it's actually finding someone who's actually going to be compatible with you know your energy and who you are so and I think the other side of it is actually when you are playing with the masculine and feminine dynamics you're actually looking for someone who's an equal so for example you want to know that if there's an issue you know you don't feel like you have to take you know as a woman you don't feel like you have to take charge all the time the you know the guy can pick it up as well and vice versa so and I think that's where the chemistry comes from it's like do I respect you in terms of being able to be an equal with me um uh, or not and I think that's where the chemistry tends to lie and also do you have the space to feel like a man and you know does the woman have a space to feel like a woman I think that's so 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 important in uh, that that chemistry can you get that on a 20 minute video chat pre-screen? Yes. <laughs> wow. Now that is interesting. I mean, look, I don't want you to have to feel like you're stealing your whole methodology here, but I want some insight into how you can screen for that or at least, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm going to, I swear I'm going to get on these video calls soon again. Uh, you know, what, 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 how should I, how should I behave? Be you. <laughs> <laughs> there's okay, so many good. scripts and manipulation tactics out there it's like no we're not going to make an authentic connection that way but be present and be aware so look at who actually takes charge on the video call hmm. it's sim simple as simple as that so if you've got um you know for example if you got onto a video call and you had the woman's have taken charge and you know saying when it should end and whether you should see each other again it's going to break that kind of dynamic it's not going to feel that sexy to you but if you have the other side where you feel like you've got you feel comfortable to take control and she's going yeah okay that sounds great you know I'd love to go on a date that's going to make you feel good it's going to make her feel good and it's just the right balance and the right dynamic so I would be looking out for those things yeah that that's really good do you after eight weeks of working with you on the love and intelligence, lo love with intelligence program. Uh, what happens? Do people walk away? Do they find significant others? Do they, uh, what, what are, what are the big things that happen as a result? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It depends on who you are and where you are in life. So for some people, just knowing how to meet the right ones enough for them. So they stay single for a little while and that's okay. That's their choice. We have some people who join us and we allow, if anyone meets a partner whilst working with us, we allow them to bring their partner on as well to learn about everything. So 
how to have that long lasting relationship because we don't believe it should be something that should be hidden and also done by one person we believe that everyone should be involved and uh, we also work with couples as well who just want to go through the programs to, in, in, to improve their relationship yeah so, which is brilliant which is really really lovely <laughs> do you think that ever freaks people i mean look okay Here's my here's my getting over internal shame about what what I I mean there's external shame just shame uh, about being like a human hacker and into this stuff. Um, they often talk about how oh man I've definitely heard this advice before uh, when you're having any conversation with someone to to talk about the fact that you've read a book about hypnosis and it helps with <laughs> communication skills um, is something that freak can freak people out. They're going, what? That's not, you should, you should never talk about it. They say you should just live it. Um, I mean, perhaps part of this whole movement in general of people being more honest, uh, authenticity is the word and, and authentic sales, authentic business, mission focused entrepreneurs, conscious economy, all this stuff in general, I think human hacking is coming a little less, uh, I don't know, taboo of a thing to explore regularly. But mm -hmm. I would also think if I'm going to go out there and say, hey, you know what? Um, I'm really enjoying this first date. And I have to tell you, some of the reason that I've that we're having such a great connection is that I'm actively learning how to develop my communication skills with somebody that has studied CIA level intelligence about it. That might freak out that woman. Um, <laughs> So, okay, with that part of that conversation, was it about you or was it about them? Mm, that's a good point. Connect. Keep it simple. <laughs> so you could be like, hey, yeah, but what? I, I don't even know how. Yes. <laughs> yeah. How does it play out for people where you can so bring that into the conversation in a way that doesn't freak them out? Yeah. So it would it only freak the wrong people out. I mean, um, uh, mm, that's true, too. Partner, my partner and I, we both met on a hypnosis course. Um, he was a, 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 he'd already done all the hypnosis and was just there showing off. And yeah, I thought it was great. You know, we, we, um, uh, we hit things off pretty much straight away in terms of learning, learning from each other and having that conversation. So I think it's, it's about being comfortable with who you are and what you want in a partner and also, you know, what you want in your life as well. Because for example, if someone goes, Ooh, hypnosis, do you want a relationship with them? <laughs> See, that's you know? what I'm coming around to. That's what I'm coming around to after years of, uh, well, at least my friends that are interested in this from a distance saying, Greg, you don't want to talk about this stuff. This is, this is kind of creepy. It could be <laughs> creepy to people. I'm going, yeah, but that's just to you. Who else? Yeah. There are other people out there that would be enchanted by want to really learn about this. Exactly, exactly. And I think it's like, you know, you just be you. I think it, it's so simple as that. I think we've, we've suddenly gone into dating, feeling like we have to play this game of figuring each other out rather than actually just being present and seeing if there's a connection there. And I think one, one thing that people do struggle with is just the rejection element. But I think there wouldn't be that struggle if there was acceptance of who they are to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, out of curiosity, you know, what is your thought about people that uh, seem to get into a scenario where they are, they're always so close and they think it's going to work out this time. And then they do get a rejection 
from mm-hmm. the person that, and, it, and it's all, oh, they just, they, they didn't want me long-term. Ah, that's what it is. I've, I've, there's several people that say, yeah, there's never really anybody that wants, that seems to want me in a long-term kind of way. It starts out great. And then, you know, then they're just, they, they find somebody else. And then I'm just like left to the side. I mean, do you meet those people in the eight week program? Do you have advice about that from a behavioral perspective? What, what's your insight there? Yeah. So this comes back to the compatibility. So when we have going to relationships and it doesn't, it's not going to work out for the long term and it just, you know, lasts a month or a couple of months is simple. Would you invest, you know, money into something that you knew was high risk? Hmm. I, I, yeah, it depends on what the, uh, high risk, high reward, maybe. Okay. So, but yeah. Okay. But if it, the higher the risk it is, you know, when we talk about emotions, when we're investing into something that we think is actually high risk, it's not going to work out and there's not the compatibility there. We don't feel it's going to work out for the long term. Right. We're less likely to emotionally invest. I think when we actually, connect with the right people we're going to be less likely to be in those in those circumstances and what I tend to find is the people that end up in those circumstances weren't clear on what they wanted they've gone down the chocolate aisle and gone yeah this is great uh, okay I'll see this is good this I'll see how long this can go on for because it just feels good within the moment hmm. 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 yeah yeah I think the uh that's when I, the, the biggest thing I'm taking away from this, Lily, everything you've talked about is the, the amount of self inquiry that is required just as much as I, and I'll admit it. It's why I started this show initially. I, I loved hypnosis and I love talking about the technology of it mm. and exploring that. Um, but at the end of the day, who's the person operating it and a lot of the time you're not going to have the results that you want if you haven't had something profound yourself that that is influencing the future results that you're going to have with others. Um, and yeah, that, that self-inquiry about who you are and your behavior rather than just jumping to, well, I've watched three seasons of Lie to Me, so therefore I can start a <laughs> narcissist. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's an interesting take, self-discovery through self-behavioral profiling. Yeah, I think it just boils back down to awareness. Because I think when we go into, you know, love and we have a look at the rom-coms and the Disney films and all those different things, we romanticize it all. So what we see is what we kind of want to see versus actually seeing the truth. Where does, I know you don't like talking fluffy, but where does romance fit into all of this? (laughs) (laughs) I think romance, this this is my personal take, is being with someone who you can be human around and also that you can grow with. Because I find that with toxic relationships or relationships that that don't work, you don't grow. And I I find that the relationships that are also not right, you can't be human around them. You're not accepted as you. So I think love is that place of actually being able to be accepted, loved unconditionally for who you are. And having the space to grow as an individual and also as a couple. 
Oh my gosh, you just shattered all of Walt Disney's legacy. <laughs> you just tore it all apart and off the, wow. Now that is that was a mind-blowing moment for me. I I yeah, holy moly. Authenticity <laughs> as as romantic. It's not just being romantic, being authentic in your relationships. It's the idea that you can even be authentic and accepted as who you are and feel love as a result of that. That is is something that i definitely aspire for yeah i think this is the thing you know we're always taught that we need to dress a certain way we need to be a certain way we need to talk a certain way we need to have a certain job a certain career and we need to be loved for for, for that but it's so superficial it's like no you can be actually loved for who you are <laughs> but part of that is actually being present to understand who you are and also being present enough to see who that person is as well Oh my gosh, Lily Walford, lovewithintelligence.com. Before we leave, final question for you. The final question. Uh, and by the way, this has been so great. I've loved this. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes. Uh, love at first sight. What is? What are your thoughts? Love at first oh. sight, myth or reality? Do you know what? This is one that I really struggle with. Um my logical mind would love to say it's a myth. Um, but when I went my partner, there was this electrical pull and I can't even describe what it was. It's, it's very, very strange. And it's funny speaking to other people who have also met their life partner and they felt a very similar thing. So I but think does it have to be something... in context because he was in a hypnosis thing too. So it was <laughs> love at first sight in context, which kind of flips that upside down in a way. Goes back to your original point. True, but I hadn't even spoken to him at that point. There was just some electrical pull. It was very, very interesting. That is interesting. Mm. And why do you think, I mean, you know, that's great that your partner, does that, does that taint your message a little bit that you found him off the whim? And yeah, yeah you know what? Convince me that you're still right. I think you are, but I, I, I want to make this, I want to make this correct. The fact that you saw someone love at first sight I would maybe then go, well, Lily, I guess what you're really telling me is why am I going to sign up for a course? I'm just going to keep trying to pursue love at first sight. Um, why won't that work? It's interesting because I think we all have this perception and intuition and gut feelings. And it's like, okay, well, if that hasn't worked so far, then, uh, you know, there's something that needs to change. And I think one thing that's really interesting about this is when I met my partner, if I wouldn't have known half of these tools, there's no way that I'd been able to allow him to love me. There's no way that I'd been able to trust him to be able to enjoy that relationship. So I think there's a few things that happens and it doesn't matter how you meet them, whether it's online, whether you, know, you meet them at a certain event or whatever it might be. It's about, are you ready to actually be in love and have the right partner for you and also are you able to be in that place where you can truly enjoy it and create the right foundation for it to be long lasting because when you can see that it's going to be long lasting when you know that there's that compatibility there logically and also through you know intuition as well you're able to relax you're able to really be present and you're able to allow yourself to really just enjoy that relationship knowing you're safe and secure with that person 
Oh, you 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 redeemed yourself fully. Okay. <laughs> yes. She was in the right place to do it. And if you want to get there, if you want to have love at first sight, that works. Uh, go to lovewithintelligence.com. See the great work of Lily Walford. She's appearing in all sorts of, uh, I mean, you do, you do uh, YouTube interviews. You've been on other uh, podcasts and, um, you know, you're, you're out there. You're getting out there. And I'm excited for your book when it comes out. Um, <laughs> but also, yeah, you can book your free love consultation. If you want to get someone who is going to be feeding back to what they're seeing in real time with the behavioral and hypnotic skills to do it. Um, I, I definitely recommend Lily. I, I think, um, yeah, you definitely, you don't just seem like a BS artist that picked up a body language course <laughs> and is teaching this like you, you know, your stuff. So I, I am so grateful you came on the show and, and shared all this with us. This is so fascinating. Oh, thank you. I've absolutely loved this. So thank you so much for having me. Lily Walford. Yes. Maybe maybe I need to start Looper Dating, an app for loopers. Swipe all around in a spiral. And if you find the person at the bottom of that spiral, you're meant for each other. I want to thank Lily for coming on. I want to thank Zero Boy for the free theme, Rodney McGilvery for the main theme, and I want to thank you for listening to the show. Wipe that smirk off your face. It's disingenuous. Just kidding. I love you. We'll talk soon.